Welcome back, Rebels. Yes, welcome back. If you guys are looking for something to listen to other than this lovely podcast, you can get a kind of similar experience to this podcast because both Adam and I currently have episodes out on wonderful Emma Gannon's wonderful podcast. Yeah, so David and myself featured the last two weeks on there. So if you don't get enough of listening to our voices every week on this show, go over to Emma Gannon's podcast and listen to the last two episodes of us on there for more of our wonderful insights. And at, I listened to your episode and you managed to turn the whole thing into a giant analogy. I was very impressed. Just to give you a kind of a bit of background on the episode for anyone who hasn't listened to it yet. Before the episode started, Emma kind of messaged saying like, is there anything you specifically want to talk about? I'm, I'd be quite interested to talk about how you've kind of pivoted with your career. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds really interesting. And that was like a little while ago. About 10 minutes before the interview, I was just sat there thinking about pivoting. And I was like, oh, I've got a good analogy for this. And then like quickly wrote it down. And then just before we started recording, I was said to, basically said to Emma, I was like, we definitely need to talk about the pivoting thing because I've got the best analogy. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to hear that analogy, go over to Emma Gandalf's podcast to listen to oh, that. What but, a teaser. Um, I was very pleased with that. I haven't had the courage to listen to my episode yet um, because when I realised that I only had half an hour with Emma and I'm so used to us doing an hour, I was like, oh my God, I've got to cram everything into half an hour. And then I feel like, when she was interviewing me, I was going 100 million miles a minute and maybe didn't give her a chance to speak. <laughs> so I'm really scared to, to listen to it back. But I have already had a couple of people reach out of, of Emma's listeners and said that they really enjoyed it. So um, so fingers crossed. Let us go over, have a listen. Let us know what you think. Uh, we obviously love Emma Gannon. She's a, an, our annual guest every year. We get her on the show and uh, it was yeah, it was an honour to be on her absolutely gigantic podcast. Yeah, I can't wait to go and listen to your episode as well. That gives me something to do over the weekend, actually. Cool. Well, get to listen to more of your lovely voice. Well, I, I trust your opinion so much that you'll just text me and go, don't listen to it or it was fine. <laughs> I'll just send you a rating out of 10 and then you can judge it on that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that thing of uh, rating out of 10 where, where they say you can rate something out of 10, but you're not allowed to use the number seven. Um, I think that doesn't yeah. really apply to you because you would either give something a one or a 10 and that's pretty much it. <laughs> To break down that analogy a bit further, I think um, that's something that, yeah, I heard quite a few years ago and I think it is so important. It really kind of allows you to kind of think, is this something I want to be doing? Another book I've been reading recently and they kind of talk about, is it going to be a yet? Like only say yes to it if it's going to be a hell yes. Like if it's going to be like, I'm 100% want to do this. If you just say yes to it and it's like, "Eh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'll do that. Then it pretty means your heart's not actually in it and you're actually not that bothered about it. And coming down to the the out of 10 analogy, that's like rate something if you like it out of 10. But most people just go seven of being like, oh, that's okay. But as soon as you can't use the number seven, you have to give it a six or an eight. And actually, when you think about a six and an eight, there's quite a disparity between those two. It's like six is generally something that's like, "Mm, it's not actually that great. And eight is something you actually really like. So that's a really good thing you can put into practice by yeah, rating things out of 10, but not allowing yourself to use the the cheat of a seven. Yeah, it's almost like turning into a, a more binary, like yes or no is would be like a, a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. further step. Do I want to do this? Yes or no? There's no, there's no maybe. And I, and I think a lot of the entrepreneurs that I really admire often talk about the the, the need to, to make quick decisions. And I think you do that by having that system of like, it's a yes or it's a no, like it's black or white. And then we just deal with the consequences. If it was the wrong decision, then we roll with it and we learn from it and we probably don't make that decision again. And if it's the right decision, cool. And you, like you don't really have the the option to go back and, and change it. So 
worrying about it doesn't really help. So you're just literally going to have to choose one path or the other and, and go with it. That's the thing, isn't it? It's like time is just so important. We only have so much time to do anything. And it's so easy to just sit there planning, trying to like analyze all of the best possible routes to do this. But most of the time, you won't ever know the actual answer until you go and do it. It's like trying to research lottery numbers. It's like you can go and look at every single thing that's ever come out before. And then just based on probability, we're like, oh, well, only two sevens have ever come up. So there's a good chance that by probability, a seven might come up next time. Yet there is still exactly an even chance every single time you play it. So yeah, just starting and going into it is the most important thing. It is, but at the same time, it's it's so funny. So much of what we talk about, there's an absolute 50-50 to everything that we talk about. So there's mm. there's hard work ethic, but then balanced with not working so hard that you screw yourself over. Um, and I think the other side to that is also going into everything with a huge amount of patience. I remember mm-hmm. when we had Yona, our business partner, on the show before, and she said, your life is a career. And that's a beautiful way of looking at, at, at your practice and knowing that whatever cho- like choices you make or pivots that you make or lanes that you're in, you're making fast decisions as you go along. But really what's what's important is the journey. It's like it's it's having patience of going through like wherever, whatever you're feeding now. It reminds me of that saying the seeds that you plant today is, is the tree that you're sitting under in five years time. I think a real good example of being patient, trying some things, finding their lane is this week's guest, Wilfred Wood. Yeah, this is such an interesting episode. And I think what really kind of struck me in this episode because we quite often talk about the three-year rule and how if you put yourself three years into something consistently, you will start to see success. But Wilfred's career has gone down quite a different lane where he spent his kind of 20s kind of trying loads of different things, his 30s, then kind of like honing in on it a bit and but kind of doing some stuff that he liked, some stuff that he didn't. And then now in his 40s, he's now hit the point where he is just doing what he wants all the time. And when you kind of look back at that, that's a 20 year journey, which is actually quite a long time. And if you just said to, if you say to a lot of people, even like ask yourself now, if you're listening to this, like, would you be prepared to wait 20 years to be able to do what you want to do every day? A lot of people I think would definitely want it shorter than that. They'd want it within two years, three years, six months, even they want it so quick. Whereas actually realizing that to kind of hit that balance of happiness to hit to be able to do exactly what you want might take a really long time and understanding that if it does take that amount of time are you prepared to go on that journey and if you're not prepared to be in it that like this is the mindset we need to have going into anything it's like this might be successful in a week something might happen i might go viral it might pop but it might not it might take 20 years and that's why enjoying the process and enjoying the journey is so so important and being patient along the way because you never know when that kind of big moment's going to happen that is really you're going to be like well actually yeah i'm actually doing the thing now i'm fully doing the thing i want to every single day it might not come as quick as you want it to and for so many people it's not like there's there's a big moment where they go oh all of a sudden i am doing what i want to be doing every yeah. day it's just it just gradually gradually happens over time isn't it and it's where patience comes back into it and and yeah i was really aware when we, i asked Wilfred the question later in the episode and and because I kind of say yeah it seems to me like you're doing what you want every day and he's the one who points out yeah I am but I didn't just get that 
Like, and and I think it's important for us. Again, it's it's our going down the route of there are no easy wins, which is not what anyone wants to hear. But um, I look at someone like Tori West, who we've had on the show before, and she is she's in the thick of it. Like she's in the trenches. She is grinding, like consistently grinding, and she's producing Bricks Magazine, and she's working side jobs, and she's doing all of these things. But I do get the sense that everything she's doing, she is enjoying. And she knows that Mm -hmm. she's building a 20-year career. And so she has that patience because she sees what's on the other side of it. She's already got kind of a taste because she has made it. Like she is still Tori West, Mm -hmm. the founder of Bricks Magazine. But she also knows that she's got so far to go. And it's that that balance and weighing of the both sides of... and, And really, at the end of the day, even if there is no promised land, no golden like euphoria of of i've made it it is how you spend your time each day that is the important thing yeah a way to think about it is like if you set yourself this elaborate goal of okay this is what i want to achieve one day let's just imagine you can never achieve that it's like let's make sure that the time in between now and then is enjoyable because if you don't ever achieve that then you're only letting yourself like life's just going to be a huge disappointment Whereas actually, if you can make sure you're enjoying that journey as you go along, it's all going to be good. It's like, it doesn't matter if I ever reach that goal. Like if you set a goal that's so outlandish that you might never reach, but the process and the journey to get there is enjoyable. That's what it's all about. It's not about just come boom, we've won. It's about playing the game and enjoying the game. I got into the studio, uh, not yesterday, but the day before and knew that I was going to be painting outside all day. And I just like had the most massive grin. It's really funny. Like I was really consciously aware of it. Like I got in and I was just really happy because I knew what my day was going to be. And then the next day I came in and I've got commissions that I've got to finish that I've been keeping people waiting for. And I didn't have the grin because that's what pays the rent. And that's what keeps me. Do you know what I mean? And, and so, yeah, so there was, there was, I'm, I'm mixing it like, Luckily, the thing that does earn the pennies is also a a form of what I love, but it's not the purest form. It's like it's a mm-hmm. it's a. I, I think most artists, like visual artists, do find that when it comes to doing commissions, is something that they enjoy, but it's not the free, true passion that they that yeah, they yeah, that they yeah. throw into. Um. So so again, along with the site, like for me, it's like I could just spend every single day working on commissions. I would make a lot more money, but then I wouldn't have the balance of the happiness. Yeah, 100%. I think as any creative, you need to have that balance and kind of try and build that into your practice. So I think if you are just working and doing those permissions every day, it does get tiring. And I think that's when people fall out of love with what they do. So it's like the way that I always try and balance it is I always make sure that I have a certain amount of hours a week to do shoots that I'm like, this is just for fun. This is going to try something new. We're going to just get some people together and we're going to like, yeah, do something really fun. So like yesterday I did a shoot with like a, just a group of people who were kind of like, I've shot with before, kind of now friends. And like, they've got something for a festival they need doing. So I was like, cool, let's all get together and just create something. That's like, there's no kind of idea in our head before we start. Let's just kind of put it together and just see what happens. And it was such a fun day. And I think it's little moments like that, that kind of remind you of why you're doing what you're doing. And I think having those spread into your week like because I think it, yeah and I say spread into your week because I think you can easily just be like okay yeah I'm going to do a fun thing and then like once a month you go and do something that's actually enjoyable but I think it's that kind of 
I suppose it's like work-life balance, but it's kind of like work-work balance of like fun work and yeah. work that needs to be done balance. And having that in your week where it's like you make sure that you there is enough enjoyment in the week to keep it alive and keep your kind of creativity going. Yeah, so let's dive into this episode with Wilfred. I, I really enjoy talking to Wilfred. I, I love his work. I think it's funny. I think it's clever. I mean, you could probably tell in the episode, I, I, I do sort of gush over his work a little bit. But he is so no nonsense, and I, I he's he's pretty. It's really funny. Like he has this view that advice is basically bullshit, and that you should just be doing what you're doing and find it out for yourself. However, through listening to this interview, I think people will glean a lot of advice from him that he's accidentally given out. So, um, <laughs> so go and do that d- despite his best efforts. Yeah, this episode is actually packed full of like really useful advice for creatives. Um, so hope you enjoy this one. Yes, Wilfred Wood is a, a sculptor and an artist. He has a very recognisable style. He makes cool portraits of people, quite often from plasticine. He's a very talented fellow, and I think this is a great episode. Hi, Wilfred. Hello. Welcome to the show. How's everything going? Uh, moderately all right. Yourselves? <laughs> moderately all right. <laughs> Love the enthusiasm. Uh, I've heard you advocate before for uh, kind of wandering in your 20s and not having a definite career path just trying a few different things to see where you're going i probably say that because quite often if i meet students they're they they're in such a panic and it seems a bit sad and unnecessary not to say that i wasn't in somewhat of a panic i don't know it's very easy to look at back at your student uh, one student days with rose tinted tinted spectacles but um, I think perhaps the pressure was slightly less, I don't know, and, and having loans and everything ups it all. So, and it's all very well saying this once you're sort of fairly established, but it seems like your student time should be a time where you're, you're mucking about and trying this and that. And it often seems to be a time where, where people are, are even more uptight than they are when they get older. So it's kind of got a bit arse over tit. Not to say that, you you know, a bit of pressure is a good idea to feel as well, to get on with it. But um, I also it's so hard to know what you where, where your uh, real heart lies when you're in your 20s. Anyway, I wandered around, did this and that and this and that. And then gradually sort of things started coming together, aged about sort of 30 when I when I started to think what, you know, the, I was doing something that I saw quite a lot of mileage in. Yeah, I think the, the student thing is interesting when people come out. I think there's... There's definitely like the loan side of things when coming coming out of uni with lots of debt. I don't like, I feel like as a, when I left uni with loads of debt, I didn't care. Like, I feel like that wasn't almost a pressure because there's not like you have to pay this back tomorrow like a normal loan. It's like right. you only start paying it back once you start earning X income. Yeah. But I think where the, a lot of the pressure for me anyway came from was as the internet started to grow and we spent so much more of our time and attention there that you suddenly see there's hundreds of other people who are doing the thing that you want to be doing every day. And then you're like, well, why aren't I doing that? And then how the hell do I do that? Because no one's ever told me the direction I need to go. Well, I can can totally believe that. And I can also totally believe that's even more of a pressure than, than loans and things, because the history of art and everything that everyone is doing right now is available to everyone at the click of a switch. And sometimes I think a certain amount of ignorance or a certain amount of sort of living in your own little cocoon and that sort of thing is slightly healthy because otherwise you're so dazzled by 
the the greatest artists that's ever been and the best people that are around now and everything it, it's terribly easy to to feel inadequate i'm sure well i know it is um so yeah. a little bit of hunkering down in your studio or in your bedroom or whatever it is and not endlessly trawling i mean i hate all the sort of stupid research stuff that is required at college mm. now it so seems so wrong that it should so much emphasis should be put on that rather than just getting on with it yourself yeah but i th- yeah. but the thing is is that research is so much more e- more markable yeah. than yeah. work mm-hmm. that's partly why they do it there was definitely like a switch that changed for me i can't remember who said it to me but it was like so i remember as a kid going around to loads of galleries and things and just being like oh it's just a painting like i'm sure you could just like you think i forgot that as a child that all these books and the internet and all these different things existed and I'm just, you just take it so for granted of like, if you're an artist and you want to create something, you can just, there's all this inspiration at your fingertips whenever you want to see it. Whereas I remember someone saying to me, I can't remember who it was, but like, if you think about like the classic painters, so if you're like Da Vinci painting something, you don't have that massive, massive pool of art to take inspiration from. Mm. You kind of just have the people that are around you. And I think having that mindset on it, if being like, actually, well, what did those people do? Because they were all fantastic artists what they did is concentrated on the work and the technical side of it rather than spending all their focus on what everyone else is doing. It's very true. But nevertheless, we live in the world we live in, don't we? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is absolutely dominated by images and the internet. I remember somebody telling me once that um, in a, in a sort of medieval Italian village with a, a, a Catholic church in it, um, the frescoes in the church might be the only works of art that the people in the village would see in their entire lives. And that was literally that. And so Mm. if you think about that, you know, the preciousness and the amazingness and the, and the illusion of perspective and things like that, that they, that these paintings might little, just fairly modest frescoes might have in a Catholic church would mean so much to people whereas now you know you were just deluged with images of flick flick like that one flick 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 lower like that one flick 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 you know so we got but nevertheless that is the world we live in so i mean it it's just going to come down to self-control not to spend your entire life flicking through things worrying but that you know that is that no one's gonna no one's can can enforce that or you can't pretend it doesn't exist it's just like sort of drugs or something you just have to try and don't overdo it i imagine well i that's how i act myself but if you're if you're really a teenager now that's a it's a whole nother world and you've grown up with this so i don't know either you it totally dominates your life even more than it say it does mine or um you have to gradually realize these things yeah, as, as with everything, there's two sides of the coin. And obviously, through the internet, many of us are actually able to make our, our living now, um, which is obviously a, a, a brilliant thing. There's something about faces that must be really appealing to you. Um, would that be like a positive side of, of social media that you get this constant like inspiration of, of finding new and exciting features and faces in people? Yes, definitely. And it's so I've just been drawing Taylor Swift. And if I was drawing the equivalent person uh, 20 years ago, which I could easily have been doing, I'd have to go to the library, literally a physical library, and try and find every book, possible book about this person. And if they're at all obscure, I'd never probably find anything about them. 
Um, and now I can find millions of images of someone like Taylor Swift instantly. Of course I can. And so can everybody else. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's all, all these sort of technological things are so much pros and cons, uh, as is all the images on um, Instagram or something like that. You know, of course, it's absolutely brilliant to, to be able to see so many people's amazing work and so much historical work. Um, but at the same time, so can everybody else. And so can everyone else post absolutely gallons of stuff as much as any artist can. So it's super pros and cons to all these technological things, I, I, I think. But finding, yeah, fight for, for a kind of uh, richness of a variety of faces, of course, the, the internet is fabulous. But what I really like doing is having one person, like I did this morning, sitting in front of me, and I, I take two and a half hours uh, to draw them and know them a little bit, and it's just one slow, concentrated activity. So that's a kind of bit of an antidote to the deluge and the flicking. Is that your? Is that the favourite thing that you do, is the, the one-on-one portraits? Yeah, I think so. I really enjoy doing celebs, um, whether it's plasticine or drawing them or whatever, but um, it always feels a tiny bit cheap, really, whereas just an ordinary person sitting down in front of me calmly and me trying to do my best in the most sort of sympathetic way, but also with a little sort of, you know, goes a little bit wonky, so to speak. You know, that that is, um, that's a really lovely process and hopefully the person gets quite a lot of out of it as well. When there's someone sat in your room with you, are you kind of conversing with them at the same time? Are you kind of trying to find out things about them? Is it as much about the human connection there as the kind of creative endeavor it, it certainly is but it's a very it's very tricky because they turn up and quite often i'm really interested in them and what they do in their lives and and that sort of thing but i mean we can't go on forever so i might spend 20 minutes have a cup of tea and upstairs and then some people are really talkative and i spend half my time trying to get them to shut up which is really, really <laughs> sad for maybe for them, but certainly for me, because I'm longing to hear what they've got to say, but I cannot concentrate and do two things at once. So um, it's it's a kind of, uh, I have to sort of limit the chat. It is um, getting a feel for what they're like. It's very subtle. I don't quite know how it does actually sort of um, manifest in the drawing itself. But obviously knowing mm. the person does make quite a lot of difference. It must do to how the drawing comes out. I know that drawing people that I know is much more difficult than drawing strangers. Partly because I know, I just know what the person looks like uh, deeply. I know what they look like, you know, from all different angles and in all different ways. Whereas a stranger, I'm much more easily satisfied. So stranger sit down, sits down in front of me, I start drawing them and I think, oh yeah, that's pretty good. But then I don't really know what they look like. That's so interesting because like, I'm a portrait photographer. So basically you're creating a piece of art with another person. And I completely agree with everything you just said there. I think as soon as you're working with someone who you know really well, then that's like, it always feels a bit harder than someone who you've never met before, because I feel like you kind of have this prejudgment and what you're going to do before you even start if it's someone that you already know. Whereas when it's someone who's new, there's the, you're kind of sussing each other out at the same time. You're kind of trying to work out what works in the, in the moment. And I think just that whole process of trying to discover what works during it when you don't, when you come in on a completely clean slate 
makes it a bit more of an enjoyable process and you generally get better things out of that because you're like that's where real, i feel like real creativity happens like in the moment rather than something that actually subconsciously your brain's probably processed like leading up to it well i i think with with my the great thing about doing drawing portraits of somebody in front of me is that you're you're looking at nature really you're looking at a human mm. being that's uh, that has evolved and that has been born and that you know it could be a plant or a or a dog to, to a degree you know it's a and you've got all this raw material to draw on so I'm just observing and and seeing what's important about someone's face but it's it's not really it's there's a I sometimes think it's not a terribly creative thing I'm just I'm looking at this person and recording and obviously it's mm. through the filter of me which makes it all go sort of a bit wrong as you know wonky but uh but it's still um it, it's still I'm observing and recording what I'm what I'm seeing it's it, I'm not it's not like I'm coming up with with clever ideas and it's not it's not I it's not like I have I have a good idea for a portrait I just see well who, what am I presented with really because I've, I've seen where you've draw, drawn pictures before where you've like you've taken the person that you want to create and then you've drawn them in lots of different ways to try and find the one that works the best yes. I feel like there must be some form of creativity in it because it's because you're not doing the perfect bust of someone who's identical to exactly how they are in real life. How do you almost yeah, caricature I, a person into what you create? Well, the, it, dep it depends kind of how you define creativity. But if, if creativity is, is coming up with great ideas uh, and, as, you know, like a conceptual work of art or something like that, mine has got none of that in it drawing Taylor Swift I've drawn her about 20 times or something now trying and and it's almost like um it's a bit like taking photos in a sense I think in that uh, you have to be editing it is quite is a key thing so I will I will do one and then and then I lit I purposely turn them all upside down and then look at them the next day and the next day I, I, I hopefully will suddenly say oh that's a good one and that, uh, by, mm. almost by luck, I've just hit it spot on with that one. And then there's a whole load of duds in a way that, you know, you go click, 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 click with the camera. And for some reason, that one is the, is the yeah. one. So I do, I do almost like a sort of scattergun drawing approach, just hoping that one's going to hit the spot. You mentioned your wonkiness. Um, where do you think that comes from? Is it... Uh like a, almost like a reaction to your to your dad's artwork from uh, the natural history books that he would illustrate. That's a a, a good, very perceptive good question, if I might say so. His his he was a natural history illustrator, so he was interested in accuracy of animals. You know, so you could identify a a grass snake from an adder. Um, but he he also had a bit of license in his work. What I'm after is getting as much character as possible with an element of caricature, but hopefully not too much. You know, it's just getting, squeezing the max out of the situation. And, you, and I usually find that is the most, works the best. When, when things are slightly heightened, I want it to be absolutely up, brimming with as much octane character as, as I can give it. There's and this probably comes from from actually sitting down with the person. There's all there's almost a kindness in your portraits of people that that come and sit for you, as opposed to because 
sometimes, and, and I'm wondering whether this has come from your time at Spitting Image, but there's almost with a lot of the celebrities, there's kind of like a spikiness and a, and and it's less kind in a way. Uh, you know, a, a celeb of one sort or another is is kind of fair game. I know I've hes- I'm not quite, not always they're not, but and also they're recognisable. So you could probably probably yeah. quite um, like someone like Taylor Swift that I've just been drawing. You know, she she's got an image that is so absolutely preened, you kind of know her a mile off. So it's mm. it's it's easy to push it and make her mu- and do a much more extreme sort of version of her. But obviously, if it's just an, uh, uh, someone off the street, I you know I draw a, a, just an ordinary person, so to speak, a non-celeb, then you know that I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to sort of um, um, exaggerate them to that extent, and that, and I would want to do a, a sympathetic portrait. But even but even on if I put things up on Instagram, people quite often say, do people get offended by your portraits? And what have you done? I remember one com- com- comment was, what have you done to that handsome man? And, you know, <laughs> people are always um, thinking that I'm being rude to people or or I'm very unflattering all the time. And does does that bother you? Or, or do you sort of embrace that and, and kind of almost seek it out in a way? Because I think there's there's certainly a theme amongst your your work both both sculpture and drawing almost kind of celebrates the like i'm sure you get quite excited like if i came to you and i've got big nose big lips you'd probably be like well let's exaggerate those and and there's some there's something there to play with you know if this isn't too far too much to say but i feel i do my little bit for inclusivity in as much as if somebody walks in with a massive great big nose that's probably always been the bane of their lives um, I'm yeah. thrilled by it, and I, and I, you know, I think great. <laughs> so the more the more sort of uh, f- funny looking in a way the people are, the better the, the the more fun for me. I don't generally want to take the piss massively out of people, whether they're 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 people they're ordinary people that sit for me, or even celebs. I mean, I find it that the sort of spitting image caricatures are very broad and very. Uh, or, or slightly formulaic, really, and I want to be, you know, sensitive to the person, but also perhaps reveal some side of them that you hadn't quite thought of, but but rings a bell. Do you think you would be sculpting had you not had the time at Spitting Image? Possibly not. I don't know the answer to that because I'd done graphic design at college, and then I just ended up working early in my life in Spitting Image. Um, by practically by accident, but I did what I did love making things, and I did see all these people sculpting, even though I wasn't sculpting at Spitting Image, and it and I and I I really admired them, and saw and some saw something to aspire to, so I think on balance, I, no, I don't think I would be if I hadn't had that accidental influence early on. Yeah, because it goes back to what we were talking about earlier of the you never know what, like, just when you try a few different things, that that can really affect your career and just what, for some people, might have been a job. I mean, that's I guess that's all it was to you at the time, was, like, kind of a fun job, more fun than what you'd been working in previously, but that's actually had a profound sort of knock-on domino effect. Totally, and it, it's, a, it's a bit of a funny thing about getting older as well. You sort of look back and, like, say even t- other times of my life, like the times I used to go clubbing, 
You know, I think at the time it just seemed like I'm going clubbing like everybody else and I'll, I'll keep on going clubbing. And then, you start, then you, you start going clubbing only once a month and then you go clubbing once every six months and you realise you, you're not probably, might almost never go clubbing again. And you think mm. that, is, that was the time um, when I did that sort of thing and it has literally passed and there's no way of revisiting it. But at the time, it just seems like the, the normal flow of things. But when you look back at work things like like three or four jobs you might have had in your 20s, you realise that the impact they, they have on you, even though it's pretty accidental that you ever got them in yeah. the first place, you can, you can try and guide where you're going a bit, but um, you see how lucky and fluky and accidental, good luck or bad luck, all sorts of things are. And I always think that, you know, bad jobs, you can learn as much as you can from good jobs because like stacking shelves in a supermarket or something can be so boring that it basically is a, a spur for the rest of your life that you never want to do something like that again. So great. I mean, that might, that could be more of a spur than having a good job, you know? So there's, a, it's all, it's all, uh, it's all usable material. I think that when, um, when we start new projects, and I'm definitely guilty of this, um, if I want to try something new, I go out and I buy all of the kit um, and I procrastinate by researching what the best art materials are to do a certain thing is. Um, one of the things I love about your work is that it's with plasticine, a very affordable piece of kit that anybody could go out and buy tomorrow and not have to worry too much. What is it about plasticine that you love working with? Well, you just described something that's absolutely tr true, and I totally, I totally go with. I mean, the amount of boring, stupid questions I get on Instagram about what materials I use. Honestly, it's a joke. Mm -hmm. And my name happens to be Wilfred Wood Sculptor, and they always think it's Wilfred <laughs> Wood Sculptor. Wood oh sculptor. no way! <laughs> like, and they go, they yeah, all the time, and they go, oh, how do you make this out of wood? That's so amazing. But that, that's an, that's another thing. But, um, yeah, I think the, the whole thing about getting too wrapped up in materials and things, well, I mean, some, some people might. Some people, you know, are very technical, whatever. But it is absolutely a, a waste of time uh, what pencils you use or something like that. Just use any old pencil. And if it's not very good, you just get a, you know, slightly different one. But um, plasticine is brilliant because it's, it's, it kind of feels nice. It's colourful. It's cheap. You can warm it up a little bit in the oven. Everything's great about it, except for it, for the fact that it doesn't last. So I can't really sell it. And occasionally I'll give it to someone, but it'll just fall apart in a few years. So, I mean, there's, it's, got, it's got loads of, of advantages and one massive disadvantage. You're listening to Creative Rebels, the podcast for creatives. If you're enjoying this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast in any way that you can. I noticed as, as I was sort of watching you sculpt, it was so incredible the way you, you moved your fingers and like kind of moved her eyes and moved her mouth. And, but it, it moved naturally because I thought, I mean, you were really, really distorting the image, but also it, it was like it was alive. It was also like moving, with, like you were manipulating it, but it was still recognisable. I could still see the eyes. I could still see the mouth. Is, I, I suppose there's kind of like a quite organic feel to it. It's got a very nice sort of 
texture to it, I suppose. It's good to photograph as well. It's not too shiny. You know, it's quite matte. Uh, and it's, it's, it, seems, it feels like it's got just the right amount of give. There's this, this thing called resistance of the material, which I heard Grayson Perry talking about, which is, I, I think it's a sort of uh, classic um, artist's kind of idea, is that if you're using anything like um, clay or even wood or something like that, um, you, the, the material gives you a sort of feedback. You know, you can't push it or you can push it or something's too squidgy. And that sort of feedback um, is inform- then informs the work. But with something like plasticine, it's got a, it's, for me, it has just the right amount of squashiness and resistance. And I noticed when I look at, at your work, kind of, I can see your thumbprints. I can see the mark. I can see the artist's hand within the work. You don't, you don't kind of spend too much time because so kind of smoothing everything out and making it perfect. Well, I used to. My work totally changed when I suddenly got absolutely fed up with people saying, "Did I do it on the computer?" Because uh. I used to do things and sand them down and make them as perfect as I could, and then uh, people thought I did them on some sort of three D program. And I suddenly thought, this is utterly pointless. I need to do the opposite. I want it to be look as physical and as non-computerised as I possibly can. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I just, these days, I just do it um, with as many sort of squidgy marks as I can get away with. Do you find yourself now almost like adding them because you feel like you want to get away from that as much as possible? And have you kind of found almost like charm in, in, in the kind of adding those squidgy extra fingerprinty bits on there well i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i kind of add them it's more like just not overworking it mm-hmm. so if i if i make sometimes so what i'll do like say um i might if i'm if i'm sculpting someone i might draw them in the morning and that goes on a bit and i'll try another drawing try another drawing and i'll almost kind of work myself up to the to the sculpting and try and do it as quickly as i can when i've got quite a good idea in my head like a 3d model in my head of what this person's like so i'm quite full of full of their image in my mind and then i'll i'll try and do the sculpture quickly and not fuss over it so i'll try and go oomp oomp boom boom eyebrows you know beard or whatever it is and um and then it'll just have a freshness and a life about it hopefully and that will come through have a kind of energy in it do you have any advice for for thinking in 3d because i feel like it's something that doesn't come naturally to most people especially because you start with just drawing flat things on paper do you have any like kind of advice yeah on how to create a 3d model in your head that you can visualize I don't I don't think I've got any particular aptitude for it at all. I've just done it quite a lot. Um I mean all I all I would say is um get, why not buy some plasticine because it's cheap and easy and you can't you you know you you can't go too far wrong. So you might just get on with get on with it trying with a bit of plasticine. I mean don't if you can't if you haven't done much like like that before the last thing you want to do is then start bronze casting you know, that costs a couple mm-hmm. of grand for a tiny little thing and it's all a massive palaver. You just want easy, cheap stuff. And then if you if you just muck about with a bit of plasticine, you might start to feel that a, a certain interest in, in 3D stuff. But it's not, it's, mm-hmm. it's not, 
I don't know about if some people have more aptitude for it than others. I don't feel I particularly have. I've just done a lot of it. And I, I, it's not like I, yeah. I'm, I feel like I've got a brilliant mind for, for, for turning th- 3D things around in my head. Even though I was just talking about that, it's just building up as much as I can and, and having the, the, the most, the key elements of that person um, at, at the forefront of my, of my mind when I'm, start, when I'm starting yeah. to sculpt them. Yeah, I think what you said there about the don't go straight into bronze, make it in plastic first, is just a valuable lesson across all art forms because yeah, it's like it's so many art materials are expensive. Sense. Yeah, you say that, but then I think most people think, well, I need to go straight into doing that high level thing because I get asked all the time, and like with the pencils you were talking about earlier, is how people think, oh, I need to go and buy pencils that cost £10 rather than a pencil that costs 10p. That's going to give me such a better result. And like I get it all the time where people are like, oh, what lens did you use for this? What camera are you using? And it's like, don't just wait until you've got the best materials to go and make something because you can, it's better to start with something to see if you like it with something cheap. And then, then if you like it, then you can invest further into that. Yes, completely. I did a workshop, a plasticine portrait workshop last night, actually, the first one uh, um, since lockdown. And it was what I love doing is, is just putting lumps of plastic in front of people who may be have never done anything like that. It was just a work jolly who maybe never have done anything like that or they possibly went to art school, quite likely they didn't. They probably work in accounts, you know, and just saying, just get on with it. And they'd say, oh, how do you do this and how do you do it? And i say, well, I don't know. You know, just, just get on with it. There's no time. And I make sure the time is really limited so they're forced to just give it a shot. And then within literally 10 minutes, they're suddenly into it and they're not asking me any questions and they're just getting on with it. And it's amazing. If you can just get over that awful hurdle, which applies to so many people, including me, you know, of starting something, you're prevaricating, prevaricating, just start something. And then things start to happen and interesting things start to happen. But all the thinking about it and what materials shall I use, that should take up as little time as possible in my in my head, if you're a making practical sort of person, if you're doing some other very different artistic practice, it's a whole different thing. But I'm really a, I, you know, craft has a sort of, in a way, sort of bad connotations. But, um, you know, I can't, I, there's a lot of craft, so to speak, even if it's not very sort of highly finished craft in what I do. Because, you know, I just... It's just a matter of doing it for years and years and years and you get ways of doing things, but it's ways of doing things that's coming from your ends of your fingers. It's mm. it, so so it's 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 so much about the making of it, how it's done. Group art is something that more people should do because I remember we did it as like a, as part of a stag do that we did uh, when we did some like life drawing. And that's basically putting loads of people in a room who don't consider themselves as creatives. They're just doing it because they're basically forced to because yes, everyone's going yes. to do it. Um, and it's like some people, like coming out of that room, just seeing the transformations in people's heads. Like, because a few people created stuff that they were really proud of. And I think they would have never done that if they'd have just not gone to that day because yeah. they would never would have signed up to an art lesson themselves. So I think, yeah, just putting yourself into an art group you might find something out about yourself that you didn't realise you actually enjoyed doing. Yes, completely. I, I mean, I'm absolutely all for that. And, and I, do, I do my workshops in primary schools or, or work things or colleges or whatever. And, it, and it's very, 
I like to think that it's very much a level playing field and everyone just give, gives it a bash, you know, and, and as with something like plasticine, you could you can do, you know, sort of flowers and plant pots out of it that, you know, is a sort of kiddies classic thing to do and and slugs and snails and things. Or you can do something very sophisticated. You know, the the material is just the material. There's there's endless um, uh, permutations of how you can use it, and I think that you know it's totally suitable for people who are complete non-art people. I mean, I th- often when I do workshops, I, it's the non-art people who do the best things, and it, and it, people always think I'm sort of being a bit contrary or, or trying to encourage people but it's genuinely true because the art people are all bunged up with all sorts of ideas that make it all stiff and then you get people mm. you know the person who's, who's never done any sculpting at all does some sort of crazy thing that you'd never think of that's amazing startling with your work there's definitely the the craft side that's involved with it but i think i feel like there's a lot of um storytelling as well i think when i've heard like in researching you i read sort of a lot about it and i i feel like most people focus on humor when they talk about your work um but there are certain things it's just elements of storytelling in your work that i really loved so for example you mentioned clubbing earlier there's the cole cox piece that came with a whole sort of story behind it of why you created that work um and then there's another piece that that is like just really beautiful and and kind of very um it, it kind of confronts you, which is the the mastectomy piece um, of of the lady with with the kind of visible scar there. Um, so, do you do you kind of see yourself as a storyteller in in the works that you make? I'm very glad that you picked up on that, and I'm very I I would love to be a storyteller. Sometimes I I don't feel I'm enough of a storyteller, and I'd like to be more of one. It, I'd very much like to be. I, I I'd like there to be all sorts of you know, connotations to a portrait, vibes coming off it of all sorts of different things. And of course, it, you know, there may be a, a personal story that it, that I'm the reason why I've done it, but I also would like it to speak in, in as many different ways to a viewer who doesn't know anything about my particular connection with it. But yeah, stories are, are lovely things and I hope they come over in, in my work good. Yeah, it's definitely something that that came across to me. Um, I mean, so I, I paint portraits as well. I am in the on the quest for realism, which I know you kind of are, are sort of against. Um, but then I also subvert that by turning them neon pink. So there is also a kind of absurd sort of twist to them. But for me, like stories are so important with like with the the subjects that I choose to paint and the and the faces and just the. I, I was thinking the other day, this is such a, like a stupid, weird thought, but I was thinking how many millions of faces there are on the planet and how each one of those faces is going to evolve over the course of their life to be millions of different faces within the same face and how I'm not ever going to be able to capture even a tiny fraction of those. It's like kind of almost brilliant, but also kind of scary as well. Yes, mm. sure. Well, I mean, I think with, with my... with. with any portrait but I think about mine you know it's how what a limited thing it is is what is one angle on one day and Mm. um of course if you draw from photos or something you can have someone going (laughs) any number of different expressions but um if you've got someone sitting in front of you for two and a half hours they're not going to do an awful lot more than "Mm." 
really. They can't. I mean, occasionally people smile and I, and I say, you're not going to be able to smile, so you, you, can you stop smiling? <laughs> and then they say, yes, I will. Occasionally people say, yes, I will, I want to smile. And so they, they're, they're like, this is a half hours. It's just kind of awful. But it's, oh, it's just about work sometimes. But, yeah, a portrait is a very limited thing. Have you still got your show coming up in August? Yes. Well, I, I have at the moment. Yeah, it's been. It was supposed to be a year and a half ago, so it's it's delayed and delayed, which is really boring. But of course, everyone's in in this boat. Um, but yeah, it's a show of the portraits of of people who just come and sit for me in person, um, and it's in um, in the Bussy Building in the Copeland Gallery, and from the tenth to the sixteenth of August. And what goes into putting a show on? Do you Have you done that off of your own back or did someone contact you to put the show on? I've done it off my own back and I do, and that's all I've ever done really, apart from odds and sods in, in group shows and things like that. So, I mean, it's just, it's just what you think really. I, I, I think vaguely of the sort of show I'd like to do, look at lots of galleries, choose one, uh, pay for it and... Um, if any, I mean, work that I sell, the gallery doesn't take a cut, so that's good. But then I'm paying for the space, mm-hmm. so it's kind of pros and cons. I can, if I'm, if I'm hiring the space, it means I can do exactly what I like. Whereas a, a gallery that would, would, you know, if you if you're if you're taken on as an artist with a gallery, there's all sorts of strings attached, of course. So. It's a, it's another pros and cons thing, really. But obviously, if the White Cube rang me up tomorrow and said, we've got to have a show of Wilfred Wood, I'm not going to refuse them. But it, was, it is quite nice <laughs> to be autonomous and do what you like. I, f- I feel like most artists, when they start off, they the, the gallery show is kind of the pinnacle and they all want to be represented by galleries. Uh, but as you mentioned there, yeah, there are definitely strings attached. And I, I think for me, like I prefer your route of... of Yes, you have to outlay that initial cost to rent the space, but then you are in control. Um, and I, I kind of, yeah, maybe I'm a bit of a control freak, but I do, I do prefer that method. It's a really tricky one. And, um, you know, the art world is so mysterious and so opaque. Uh, anyway, I'm a, I'm a sort of a hybrid person. I'm not really in the fine art world. But then I'm not, I'm not exactly in the illustration world, although, I, I, you know, I did graphic design. So I'm I'm I've got a foot in both camps I think really, but um, social media really or Instagram specifically enables me to 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 be very much of a sort of one man band and really call the shots for everything that I do and sort myself out for everything really, so that's very lucky and and um, you know. Uh, uh, I feel like it, it is it's possible for for someone like me to operate like that these days. So it, it might not have been, well, it wouldn't have been 20, 30 years ago. One question we get asked a lot is um, how to build an audience on Instagram. Uh, I think we get asked that probably once a week. Um, do you have any advice or tips on oh, that? Only just absolutely obvious stuff. I mean, I'll tell you, I... I first got on it about probably about six, six years, seven years ago or something. So it was a little bit before it hit its real peak. Um, I didn't want to do it at all. My agent said I should do it. And I, and I was already fed up with Facebook at that time. So I did. So I was loath to do it. But I said, oh, all right, then started doing it. And it just turned out to be really fun. 
But I think, the, you know, the only all the advice is just the absolute common sense, obvious stuff, which is basically, you know, you don't want to post too much because people get bored of it. You, you don't want to post too little because people kind of drift off. Um, yeah. So um, it, it's just stuff like that, really. And how do you keep it fun? Because I know a lot of people, like, they complain that, oh, I hate doing this. It's not fun. It's because my work is, is fun to me. That's, I mean, it's part, It's all for all sorts of reasons, but I don't have any kids to, to feed, you know, and worry about. I mean, that, that takes the pressure off to a degree. Um, you know, I do, I do what I like as much as of the time that I can. And if I do what I like and I know, and I know what I like sort of thing, if I'm quite directed, you know, I'm enjoying my work. And if I'm enjoying my work, I want other people to see it. And Instagram is a really good sort of carrot because, I, you know, it's, it's fun to think I'm going to do this and people are going to see it rather than it all just piling up in my drawer unseen. And I, do, and I, and I, I think I, I use it in a fairly sort of natural way. And I don't, it's not like a pose or something, you know, something fo- phony that you have to keep up that turns into a stress. And a, it's, it, I mean, there are, there are stressful elements to it. Like, uh, you know, you think you may, one may be becoming repetitive or if you say the wrong thing or people are furious about, about you know, you, you've insulted someone or, you know, all that sort. There's all sorts of drawbacks. But generally, if your work's fun, you're enjoying it and you want people to see it, then um, it's, it's pretty good for me. And if you put up a piece that doesn't maybe get the reception that you hoped it would... Does that affect you at all or are you fine with that? Generally not too bad. I mean, when I, it's, it's more like if I, do, if I do something that offends people, that worries me far more. If something's just a bit ignored, then it doesn't really matter. You know, there'll be something else tomorrow. So mm-hmm. um, I think I was, in, I was in a shop the other day and there were two guys talking behind the counter and one said, they're obviously students or something, and one said to the other, I'm going off Instagram and uh, the other one said, oh, why are you doing that? And he said, because I realised I'm making my work for Instagram. So that's another of these double-edged tricky things. On the one hand, Instagram can be a really good spur to get up, get working, and then the enjoyment of people liking it and posting it and all that rest of that. But on the other hand, it's terribly easy to fall into some sort of repetitive cycle where you you think oh people like that one i better do something like that again but then Mm. that's all that's that's always been an artist's it's just Mm. it's just intensified now but it's always been an artist's thing you know if you if you're in a gallery and you do have a show and the paint and they sell out you sell all the paintings and then that you're going to put another show Trust me, the gallery owner's going to say, could you do some more of the sort of paintings that you did last time? I'm not really that yep. keen on these new ones. So it's only the same as it ever was. It's just extra now. I, I actually have written down in my notes here, um, it seems that you uh, are able to spend your days how you want. Um, and you kind, you kind of touched on that there. I think that is the, the sort of goal for so many creatives is to get to that stage where they are able to just make work, put it, put it out into the world and survive it's taken an awful long time though i mean i spent my 20s uh, doing all sorts of stuff including awful jobs that made me miserable and then i spent all my 30s with the kind of overlap of doing half what i liked and then half boring jobs 
it was only about 40 when I started concentrating more and more on what I really wanted to do. So it's taken absolutely ages to get to a stage where I most of the time are doing what I want to do. But it doesn't mean it all goes like tickety-boo. Uh, you know, I, mm. um, I'll be frustrated and miserable and um, down in the dumps about my work, just like anyone else, of course. Um, and it's sometimes even more so when it's pure. It's not even someone's asked me to do something that I that I might bodge. You know, it's it's I, the entire response. It was my idea, and I wanted to do it, and it's still crap. You know, that's the, that's even worse than a job. At least with a job you can do the job and hopefully get paid for it and say goodbye to it. And that's that. At least it's done it for, you know, served its function. But if you're being an artist and constantly creating things and they're still not working, that's even worse. When you're in that funk of like, this just isn't going right. What, what's your kind of process of, well, I need to sort this out. (laughs) Sometimes I'll plug away until something happens. Sometimes I'll, I'll uh, start again. You know, there's really no, no way of or sometimes just leave it and start something else and then come back to it i mean there's a million num- ways of of trying to get around these problems and i think different different um solutions will suit different projects and different temperaments really but it the, the one thing i do know is that it is utterly inevitable if you're going to be, try and be an artist or a sort of creative person it's utterly inevitable you're going to get sick to death of things and they're they're going to go wrong and you're going to feel humiliated publicly humiliated by crappy work that you don't want anyone ever to see again and all those sort of things will happen and they're simply part of it absolutely what do you think it is that holds most creative people back well apart from sort of having to earn money and bring up their kids and things like that which puts you know massive constraints on what people can do in terms of their time and and having to earn a living i think people are often very very tentative i mean we all i think as as a well, not as a society, but pe- but people are very cautious on the whole, but good. I mean, it, it gives us, you know, people with a bit more nerve to, to a chance to sneak in and do something mm. a little bit more. Um, you don't want everyone to be bold and fearless. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> it's going <laughs> yeah. to be a yeah. massacre out there. So, you know, keep it quiet. But, um, yeah, I think, a bit, you know, it's, it's just it's just a taking a few more risks really isn't it which is difficult to do yeah absolutely Wilfred thank you so much for coming on the show could you let everyone know where they can find you online uh, well best thing is just look at uh, Instagram uh, which is Wilfred Wood Sculptor I'm called and it's Wilfred with a F-R-I-D amazing Brilliant. thanks so much thank you so much pleasure that was really nice thank you